Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Series 2 of Not Another Sales Podcast. I'm Chris Hatfield, aka Not Another Sales Guy. I'm a sales and mindfulness coach, trainer, consultant, and speaker. I work with corporate sales teams and leaders, along with startup business owners passionate about what they do, but wanting to up their sales game. My main mission is helping us all become more mindful of how we elevate our performance, perspective, and potential. If you want to know more, then look me up on LinkedIn. Chris Hatfield, always happy to chat. So if you're new to Not Another Sales Podcast, here's what to expect. It's aimed at giving you insights into how you can be successful within the world of sales, whether that's your career or your own business. We go deeper into the thought process and mindset needed for success when selling and when running a business, not just the skills and output. So if you're looking for a podcast with a difference that starts with the mind in mind, this is for you. So enough about me, let's get started. On today's episode, I'm joined by Ollie Sharp and Alfie Marsh. Ollie is the VP of Revenue for Amir at Salesloft, and Alfie is the Head of Sales at Spendesk. I'm going to be getting Ollie and Alfie's insights on whether they believe sales managers now need to become more like sales coaches as we evolve how we sell. They'll also be sharing their top traits they believe sellers need to be successful as we evolve as a sales group and also a society. And also, how can sales leaders be developing their teams to encourage a promote internally approach to encourage that development and that growth within the organization as well? So sit back, grab a pen and pad and enjoy. Ollie and Alfie, welcome. How are we doing? All good, Chris. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Good. You're welcome. Thank you for joining me on an episode of Not Another Sales Podcast. For people tuning in that might not be too familiar, which is probably very few of who either of you are, it'd be great to give them a bit of context and background about yourself. So, Ollie, if I can start with you to give the listeners a bit of context. Yeah, so my name's Ollie Sharp. I'm currently VP of Revenue for Amir at Salesloft. I um, started my career ages ago with went into recruitment doing sales recruitment for a bit and then joined linkedin uh was at linkedin for 10 years building and developing teams and then joined sales loft back in april last year to build sales loft across EMEA. great and alfie yes yeah, so um i originally started my career at bloomberg uh, after studying accounting and finance so nice and nice and boring topics <laughs> um so i kind of spent about three years working more in uh, enterprise sales kind of large corporations um and then i made the move over to the startup world about two and a half three years ago um where i joined spendesk and um, was looking after the uk market for the last couple of years uh, and since we raised our series b last year uh, we've now opened up uh, in the United States, so leading the uh, sales expansion over here. Great, great. Well, again, thank you both for, for joining me. Really interested to get your insights and your stories on some of the topics today. And I suppose to kick things off, one of the things that I've been looking to do over the last month or two is to is to address some of these sales myths or statements or throwaway comments or things that are coming up particularly as we evolve in a society, but also in the way we sell and get people's perspectives on it. Because, of course, you know, you hear these throwaway comments or statements and sometimes that's all they are. There's no real understanding or background behind it. And things can be misinterpreted in different ways, really. So one of the things when I was speaking to you both that I thought I'd be really interesting to get to get your insights on, obviously talking about your background there, was around this involvement of sales managers and sales leaders and and the way we're going at the moment, of course, around managing and developing people. I want to get your take on 
whether it's true and how true or if not, that sales managers now need to be sales coaches within their organization, within their role. So Ollie, what's your, what's your thoughts on that off the top of your head around that topic? Um, I think, I honestly think that good leaders have always been good coaches, I think myself. And I think that it depends on whether you're a sales manager or sales leader and what level you are. But I agree to an extent. I think that there's so many sales methodologies around and all of these kind of things. And within a sales methodology, there's textbooks you can learn from, but are there actual, there's other things that need coaching in a person. And I think when it comes to, you can't, I mean, you can read about EQ and stuff and you can read about self-awareness, but it's easier to coach that than it is to actually read a book on it. So with today's, what makes a a great salesperson today isn't just someone that can read a sales methodology book, in my view. Um, And I think that when you're actually looking at the softer side of sales, you can't do anything but coach. And I think that the one the sales leaders that I've learned the most from in my time are the ones that have coached me, not just how to follow a methodology, but how to be a better person, a better listener, understanding, etc. And that's helped me a lot. And so I think that's the way it's going. And when I see other leaders that I respect in the industry, and this is why I uh, introduced it to Alfie, because I think he's someone that really shows a lot of self-awareness and EQ that, um, I think it's important to be to have that as a leader. Mm. Yeah. And what about yourself, Alfie, from a sort of just top line view on that statement? Yeah. I mean, I couldn't agree more. I think that, so, I think we were discussing this previously, but sales is one of those industries. You don't really go to university to study sales. Uh, and when you hire an engineer or a developer, they kind of come, you know, prepackaged with a certain level of skills around coding, for example, and you're there to develop and continue to coach. But they also have a baseline in, in the skills that they need. So often that when you start at the beginning of your sales career and you start as an SDR, you can have either little to no experience whatsoever. Um, and a lot of uh, these kind of skills that require to be that you need to be able to master that you don't really learn them in, in university or in school uh, and so I think that it's it's almost impossible to just take the attitude to have a team build a team and just expect people to kind of develop themselves they need to be able to have guidance and coaching um, and I think you know I'm not sure if you'll agree with this sort of side of it Ollie but every in my own personal experience I felt like you can't learn everything at once and you kind of have to learn things when you encounter certain situations the, the first time you lose a deal because you haven't got the right uh, stakeholders on the call or whatever it may be you're going to learn that when you run into that situation and that's going to be a constant development over your entire career the only thing that changes is the situations you run into but you still have to solve those problems and I think you're always going to need someone there to help and coach and guide you through them and be able to break down those situations and learn from them I agree I think I mean it is a lot of it is situational and a lot of the time when so one loses a deal it's something so random i mean when you re- when you lose it because of covid when that started no one could plan for that um and no textbook tells you what to do in that situation but what could you have learned from the situation so 100 percent agree yeah mm. yeah for sure it's a bit like the um you know the sales sales uh process is a science but sales execution is an art uh, and there's a uh, you can you can have any kind of methodology you like but it still requires to be executed well and that takes time to develop and practice and coaching. So, yeah, yeah. So going back, I suppose to your point, Ollie, as well as Alfie's around 
Do you think that's where something is often missed then from sales managers to ones that aren't as successful or thought leaders in their areas that they, they don't see that part? They just have a bit of a misunderstanding around what actual management is? I don't know. It's it's very easy for me to say something completely wrong because I know that some some sales leaders. I mean, I I, I came through the ranks. I mean, I started. Doing, I did door to door sales and then moved up from there. And I learned a lot while doing it, which I believe helped me to coach. Does that mean I am better than someone that hasn't worked the way through sales? No, it doesn't. It's just that I believe maybe I can coach because I've been through similar situations situations so it's i think there's some sales leaders that don't have that first-hand experience they can still be as good but they're doing it from more of a textbook and they're learning on the job maybe um but i do believe that a big chunk of our role at the moment as sales leaders should be spending time with the team and it's whether you're when you're in a startup going to market and working out what we should be saying as a team and making sure the consistency through to if someone's been in a role too long well not too long for a long long amount of time and maybe they've got into some bad habits there's always a need to be coaching the people that work in work work for us yeah i suppose on that topic and be interesting at your point of view on this Alfie, is people sometimes get confused with mentoring and coaching and yep. they'll believe they're coaching someone, but when they're actually doing is just mentoring them, which nothing wrong with that, but it's just getting mm. a clear indication of are you trying to lead someone to do the way you've done it, which isn't always going to work, particularly if you've been yep. successful. There might be different ways to it. So what's your your take on that? Yeah, well, I, I definitely, I think I definitely suffered from that same uh, learning myself when I kind of went from sales and then started managing a team for the first time, 100%. I think um, there's probably quite a lot of people that, uh, kind of earn their position as a, as a first-time manager after exceeding well in, in closing deals or exceeding quota um, and then kind of take that mentality of, okay, it's, it's going to be a copy-paste. Uh, okay, we know the market, we know the strategy, we know what works. It's simple. Let's just tell other people what to what to do and how to do it and it, and it will work. And that obviously fails miserably. Um, and it, it, it's funny, I think in, in my personal career, I've seen great sales leaders who whether they're doing it intentionally or not have kind of take a step back and you let other people solve the problem but you're opening the doors it's like you're trying to de-block uh, you know de-block them uh, unblock the road uh, and then be able to give them like a platform to move on to but they still have to go and actually find the road and find the path and i think that the more that more people that you have and, uh, and kind of coach over time you see people have different strengths and people have different weaknesses and, and part of that is trying to figure out what those are um, and then try and double down on their strengths and and, and trying to mitigate their weaknesses um but yeah it's it's definitely a lesson i had to learn firsthand to not just try and do the, the copy paste mm. I, I think there are a lot of sales successful sales people that move into leadership and maybe take the wrong route i think it's easy to do that because if you're a top performer um, and I think from what Alfie's saying, I probably did the same as Alfie that I, when I joined, one of my, when I moved up into leadership, one of my biggest learnings was I thought I knew best and I thought I knew the best way to do everything. And that is so wrong. It's so bad for a leader to do that because everyone just ends up like yourself. Then I think it's a part of what happens when someone goes from starting leadership into more developed leadership they become a more become more aware and what happens is they're more able to coach 
because when you understand it more and you understand what coaching is, then it, you don't, it's like the top tennis players in the world, their coaches are obviously not better than them. So we don't need to be better salespeople. We need to be better at coaching than we do the, the, the salespeople we manage. And I think coaching is a skill that people, I mean, I'm not a hundred percent great at it yet and I'll keep working at it, but it, I've developed a lot from when I started. Mm. Yeah, I think as well, we spoke before we started recording this around uh, having Pete Crosby on the other week and he made a really interesting point that if you maybe come at it from more of a mentoring point of view and you're just looking to tell people what to do, you'll look for people that are like you and therefore you'll end up hiring a team that's very much like you but cuts out a whole opportunity around a customer base that just aren't going to engage with with those types of people so it's kind of being aware of that if you if you do go down that route you might be creating some unconscious biases when you are looking to recruit people and who you're actually favoring in terms of developing them as well we could just make this whole podcast about fuck-ups we've made in leadership <laughs> 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 one, thing I talk about, one thing i really fucked up on when i was at linkedin was I thought building a team all very similar to each other was a great thing to do. And very mm. quickly realized that that's not what you do. So yeah, we could rename the podcast, not another fuck up. There's the title. <laughs> There's the title for the show. We'd have <laughs> episodes after episodes after episodes. Of <laughs> Just self-confessed ones, like a little confession booth of this is how I fucked up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so apart from those kind of things there do you think there's any other challenges that can arise from from sales leaders and sales managers that are responsible for coaching within their organization as well well yeah i mean i think there's 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 kind of many things in in that equation um i, I think that there's also you've already kind of touched on this uh topic before in terms of numbers and input and, and output and, and what to actually focus on but like you said ollie i think that a lot of a lot of people you're, you're not trained how to coach necessarily so you may uh, have natural skills or not but even if you're naturally good at coaching you still need to develop them skill those skills yourselves um so it's one of those things where you know what are you focusing are you focusing on the right thing um are you focusing on the wrong things and, and where you put your focus that's where you're going to get results um, um, and so it's it's kind of uh, are you focused on things like the input metrics? Are you focusing purely on the outcome? Are you focusing on coaching and having that transparency? Are you being clear with the people that you're actually speaking to in your team as to what the uh, objectives are and what your expectations are and where where's the gap in between them? And I think a lot of that is just a, a pure communication thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm not sure what your take on that is, Ollie. I, I think this, when you were talking, it reminded me of when I was when I was at LinkedIn, and in our sort of uh, EBS employee voice survey, one of the questions was how often you got coached or something. Or and it was, and we did a lot of work on it. We actually had a management training course purely on how to coach and what the difference between teaching and coaching is, and we put loads of effort into it. And after about a year or two of doing it, we realised that the simple solution was for people to actually mark highly on coach was when you go into a room, go, I'm going to coach you. And it's really weird that people don't, but I think that's a good, a good coach is someone that someone does not feel like they're being coached because it's sort of feeling played a little bit. Um, but you're right. I think there's so many areas that a sales leader is sort of maybe not targeted on, but has to do as part of their role, whether it's a quarterly EBS or whether it's, it's looking for doing a forecast pipe 
blind, whatever, that sometimes coaching and partnering on meetings can take a step back, uh, uh, the back seat. And what, one thing I've found hugely beneficial, and not just now with COVID, but when I was starting at Salesforce, is having recorded sessions of uh, recording meetings of my team. And they will, before a one-to-one, I will ask them two days prior to that, send me a recording of one of your meetings in the last two weeks that was over Zoom. And they send me the recording. I listen to it on the train on the way home, and I can actually work through that whole call and play it back with them afterwards and coach them in doing a better job. That's been huge to me because if you think about doing your job and dedicating time to go on that meeting at 9 a.m. on that day, et cetera, and making sure your calendar's free, if it's coaching, if you're not going to add weight to the actual meeting, just listen to it. Listen to the recording afterwards in your own time, and it's more beneficial stopping and starting. It's great. Yeah, mm. that's really that's really powerful. I definitely definitely do the, exactly the same thing, and I think that um, I'm you know do, do reps start off with a, a habit of listening to their own calls. So I'm not sure everyone would just start off instantly doing that. No, unless kind of being actively encouraged. But once you've got a, a strong culture within the company and the sales org to actually go back and listen to the calls, you see such a difference. I mean, I remember the first time I ever started listening to my calls, and I think the first ten I wanted to kill myself. It was <laughs> they were absolutely horrendous listening to my own voice. Uh, but you kind of get used to it after a while, and the it, it's. It's, it's always easier, I think, to coach other people than it is to coach yourself. And then when you kind of put yourself in a position where you're able to listen to your own calls and your own things, uh, it makes it a lot easier for you to have that awareness. And I think that every, every person that I've worked with in the team that listens to their own calls can easily spot out exactly the same areas or things that I would have said myself. And they're actually doing that on their own, uh, you know, volition. Um, and other things, you know, to, to second that, um, Ollie, we've, we've done sessions where, we have everyone in a team. So we'll have like five people in a team. And we, this is something that we've done over you know, during the COVID period because it's a lot easier to do remote. Um, but have five people in the sales team uh, and going through uh, a recorded call or we'll do uh, role plays and have everyone else give their feedback. And it's really interesting. And, and to, to your point again, Ollie, about not trying to have um, you know repetitions of yourself, that's a really great way because some of the points and feedback that we've heard in those sessions just I'm listening to some of those and I'm like, that's a really great point. And I would never have thought of that. And it's just, how can you create an environment where people are coming up with their own ways to kind of self coach and just generate their own self awareness about what they're doing well and what they're not doing well. Because if you're just constantly saying, this is good, this is not good, this could be improved and, uh, and that we should stop doing that. Then there's no kind of process in, 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 in your brain of, of having the awareness of where, can I actually, how can I break this down logically and, and improve that myself? Mm, yeah, it's a very, it, would be, it ends up being a very linear approach, doesn't it? Because you've just got one version of good and bad versus like someone thinking a bit more creatively. Yeah. Yeah. One of the other things that I've seen personally from experience, it'd be good to understand from both of you of how you might overcome this when a sales manager's role involves coaching is how you separate those conversations out sometimes because of course with coaching you've got to be in an environment where you feel comfortable to be honest and to be open and to be a bit vulnerable as well as to where you might be able to improve and I think some of the times the big challenge I've seen is that managers themselves don't know when to differentiate it they'll be having a coaching conversation then they'll start talking about metrics at the same time and from a coachee's point of view they can feel a bit like well hang on are you here to support me or analyze me like where's the line so have you got any of you've got either tips around 
how you might be able to like be very clear on that and and avoid that kind of blurred lines i mean i think knowing what areas you need to coach them on i, th- I think as a leader having really open and honest conversations that when you when you have your personal development plan with somebody or anything like that wherever you work from when you're developing them helping them to understand that the this is the area that I'm going to be working with you to coach you and these are the bits where so just having that openness to do that setting agenda for your one-to-ones I think that's an important thing and also separating the conversation so if you're having uh, as much as if you're having a one-to-one this is a coaching one-to-one around this call and then your next one can be something else but also if you do go out if we ever get back to going out to meetings um, if you go out to a meeting and you get back sitting down saying right let's put half hour in the diary for me to coach you on what I thought on that Uh, and then having it separate to that promotion conversation or whatever the other conversation is and separating it does help Um, I do think as you come further and further as a leader that it it separates itself just from your own style in a way I think that you can feel yourself that you can it's like when you're telling a story putting it into chapters making sure there's chapters in your one-to-one or your conversation to show right we stop that what we're going to talk about next and that can change the actual way that you're having the conversation mm. yeah bang on and and in, in in addition to that you know the the kind of what looking at the input and the output and the metric driven sort of things i mean these are these are important to be able to follow and um and and keep an eye on for sure but it it's more that's that's uh you know words if, if these are, if we're talking about chapters, you know, these are words and phrases that help tell a story, but they're not the thing that we're going to focus on. It's a, it's a case of, okay, if there's activity there and there's not the output, then what's, what's the gap in between? The, the, the importance is not the numbers, it's the stories that it's telling. And I think that that is there to help guide those sessions. So on a week to week basis, when I have one to ones with my team, it's a case of, you drive the story of what would you like to go and, and discuss this week? Are there points that uh, you're having trouble with or would like to focus on improve taken from data that you've seen that's working and what's not working and help drive that session, but really focusing as much as possible on having those coaching sessions. I don't think that, yeah, the focus on the kind of numbers is uh, it, it takes up a big amount of time. I mean, the numbers are the numbers. They're there. They tell a story. It's how can we interpret that story and how can we then leverage that to guide what this kind of coaching plan is is going to be. Mm. And you raise an interesting point there, Alfie. I think, you know, Ollie mentioned around having an agenda. I think the more you could put the ownership on the individual, the coachee, to create that agenda, you get a better understanding of what they want, but it also helps them sort of, you know, analyse and start thinking about it rather than just being spoon-fed and assuming this is what I need. It actually makes it, I feel like it sticks a bit more as well if they've kind of created that themselves. Yeah, well, it's. Uh, I think that's a key part of anything in the team is if, if your team are part of the creation of something, they have a lot more ownership and accountability and motivation towards that. So I think in every, every possible angle where you can have something which is driven by your team as opposed to being driven by you, you're going to see a lot more um, yeah, yeah, accountability and ownership over the outcome there for sure. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned accountership, account, accountership. I've just created a new word there, accountability <laughs> and ownership. Let's <laughs> that, accountership. Um, you mentioned those two there, and you've mentioned a couple of other skills, particularly that have become a bit more important now that we're sort of adapting how we sell. And, you know, people keep talking about going back to normality. We're not going to go back to normality. We're going to evolve and, and find something different. And I suppose that kind of links to my next question that I'd like to get your opinions on is, 
with the way sales is, has evolved and is evolving, what are sort of one to two top traits, skills or habits that you think are essential or fundamental, not necessarily in every seller, but that you feel might have served you in, in the past or right now that, that are going to be important moving forward? So, Ollie, if I can start with you, what's your, what's your thoughts on that? So, I mean, when thinking about this, it's are we thinking about as when you're recruiting someone or what they need as a salesperson? Because when you're recruiting them, you're also thinking about what they need as a salesperson. And I read a book uh, called Sales Acceleration Formula by Mark Roberge, and it really strips everything back to the basics, mm. which got, gets me thinking about it. I think that certain to be a good salesperson, are we talking about the interactions or are we talking about the, the whole round thing? I think that the sort of the EQ and self-awareness is huge. I think so, if some, if you could sum one thing up, it will be self-awareness. Because if they're self-aware, they know where they need to develop. They know how to communicate. They know how to understand the needs of somebody. So I think that's important. And also resilience. I've learned a lot over the last however long about how important resilience is. Because sales isn't one of those things that every day is a great day. And it always comes down to how we actually... Um, and when you do door-to-door sales, you know that it's not every door to, <laughs> every day is a great day. So um, resilience is huge. So I would say self-awareness and resilience are the two things that, as well as being able to build a relationship, but the list is endless, but they're what I would hold in the highest regard. Mm. Yeah. And how much, just, uh, how much of that do you think is teachable or coachable? And so, uh, this is... The, the, the resilience, building resilience in a team is something I've been doing a lot of research on recently um, for some talks I'm doing. And there are ways that you can build resilience. It, it's hard. If someone comes with it already that they've been through some adversity in their life, whether it was in their life personally, in work or in sport or whatever, that the, it's something that gets built from having ad- dealing with adversity. But there's things you, you can teach, like if somebody has um if someone loses a big deal or something like that it's the way that you handle it as a leader can impact how resilient they come they become so it's not what they taught and this is in the harvard business review that what they teach is it's not about taking it all away from them and and saying oh it's okay it's not putting them on them going right that's crap it's getting them to bounce back by saying something along the lines of okay well we'll learn from this what do you think you can do now to help the situation so you're sort of putting the ball back in their court but not getting stressed with them and they will start thinking okay and they'll start thinking forward rather than backwards and that's how you help build the resilience um so you can coach these they're hard but if, I, if you have someone with it already then i think it's a, a great thing mm, yeah yeah i mean going yourself, on, on that yeah, I think like, there was a few things I, I kind of read between the lines in w- what you were saying there, Ollie, and, and something that I think relates to the first kind of question we discussed about um, <clears throat> you know the needs of the sales coaches. Uh, but there's this concept of being a, a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset. If anyone's read the book Mindset by Carol Dweck, it's it's a, a fantastic fantastic book. If you've not read it, definitely read it. Uh, but this kind of concept that fixed mindset people, and it's never black or white, you're never either 100% one or the other, and it's kind of somewhere gray in between. But if you tilt towards more of a fixed mindset, it's uh, the skill set that you have is, is kind of final and that's your natural talent. And therefore, 
everything you do in, in six, that's successful, it, you love it because it makes you feel good that you're successful and everything that you fail at, uh, you try and shy away from because it, it kind of proves that you suck. Um, well, actually, that's a really bad way to think about it. And we, if, if our life and our skill set is kind of uh, on, on, a, on a graph, fixed mindset would always be in one position. But a growth mindset knows that where you are today can be there with hard work and, and experience and learning. And so I think that those people with this growth mindset are always, uh, they're not scared of failure because they see them as opportunities to learn. Um, and they're places where you can grow and the skills that you don't have today, you can acquire them over time. And going back to the coaching side, as well as the actual people that you're hiring, you also need to foster an environment, a growth mindset environment within the company. And that mean that's kind of why I think coaching is so important because if you just hire people and expect them to be perfect as they are when you hire them, well, you're, that's a fixed mindset in yourself because you're just saying, I'm hiring this person for who they are today, rather than what they can become and how we can develop this person. And so things like that, you know, failure, every time you lose a deal, it, it can't be, it shouldn't be catastrophic. And it shouldn't be a really bad deal that you, you know, you kind of wallow in failure. It's more, okay, that's fine. It's going to happen. We're going to do things that we could improve on and we can learn on. But what do we take out from this so that it doesn't happen the second time? And that's helping them move up that kind of you know, those, those steps of, uh, of, of a growth path. I think that's very important. Mm. Alfie, you did a, um, a post a while ago, uh, a very sm- it was just a, a LinkedIn post that talked about the adversity you'd overcome. Yeah, yeah. Would you share any of that? Yeah. Sorry, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm not interviewing yeah. you. That's, that's yeah. you I read it. Yeah, I, I mean, I think, so the, the, the post that you're referring to was kind of like a, a line-by-line uh, kind of success and failure, success and failure, up and down, up and down. And uh, it was, was really, I'll have to find find it again and, and share the link with you. But what was really funny, I was going to put at the end, because it kind of finishes on a, on a bit of a success, which is, okay, we've just moved to the US and this is my next kind of journey. And I, I put in one sentence there, which is, and I'm probably going to eat shit again soon. And then I, <laughs> and I, took, it, and I took it out. <laughs> and I took it out. I don't know why, but I took it out. And then I came back and then also when I moved here, <laughs> so that was kind of like the end of the post, right? Me moving to the US. And then when I moved here, one week, you know, after I arrived, uh, COVID hit. And then obviously, you know, launching a company in a new country, uh, amidst mixed pandemic, when you don't know anyone, you're locked down, it was kind of like, boom, okay, it's going to get tough again. <laughs> and so I was like, eating shit. <laughs> so just get but I mean, I think that's, um, you know, and it's very difficult. You've got, you've kind of got to see those things, those successes and failures. Instead of seeing it like up and down, up and down, it's more going to be like up, down, up, down. And are you overall on that kind of average trend? Where, where are you on your down? Is that down, you know, higher than the last down where you were? And have you advanced and actually take a step back and, and kind of look at that in the bigger picture? But, um, yeah, I mean, we, it's all a matter of perspective and, uh, kind of just keep keeping going through those and taking what can you learn out of them rather than resting in the failure itself. Mm. There's a really interesting talk. I'm not sure if either of you've seen it by Simon Sinek about the infinite gamer. I'm not sure I've seen that one. So he talks about, it's a 20 minute video on YouTube. I'll send you the link after, but just to give you a bit of a snapshot, it links to your point, Alfie, about, you know, how we see moments in time. And he talks about in life, there's finite games like sport where there's a winner or a loser, but life in itself is an infinite game. Yeah. We often try and play it in a finite way where, you know, it might be a day, it might be a week, it might be a month, it might be a call, it might be a deal that we just see as a kind of pinnacle win or loss. 
and he mm. uses really good examples of uh, you know Microsoft and Apple. He talks about Microsoft being a finite gamer because all they talk about is beating Apple and wanting to beat them and see it as a, a win or a lose. Whereas Apple are an infinite gamer; they want to play to make the world a better place through their technology. And he says an infinite gamer will always outlast a finite gamer because a finite gamer will go in and try and spend all the resource they can because they think there's a pinnacle end. And the problem yeah. that is that with a finite mindset when you lose you lose hard because you think like you said it's the end of the world you know yeah. deal stalls from covid you've had a bad month nothing's going to come back from this and when you win you you feel euphoric but as soon as that feeling goes you're kind of like oh my god where did it go i had a really good month last month yeah well this is this is that's a great great analogy i mean this goes back to when i was working at bloomberg and was more around kind of trading trading floors and people that were you know making a lot of money trading the, the financial markets and there's this kind of concept that you don't actually have to win all the time to win money in fact when you can actually build a system that only wins 20 to 30 percent of the time and still make a lot of money as a trader. And when you think about it, this analogy applies exactly the same to the sales process because you think, okay, how many of the deals that come through do we win? Is it between 30, 50%, 30, and 70%, whatever the, whatever the ratio is, you can still have a great process uh, when you're not winning 100% of the time. And the fact is you're going to have to lose as, as part of that. And if you have that mindset of it's a, a, you know, an absolute win or a loss, you, you, you don't want to think I have to win every single deal. You have to think, I have to do the right process in every single deal and the right deals will win and the wrong deals won't win. And obviously there's going to be mistakes that happen in between, but you got to focus more on building a system and a process that's fine-tuned rather than winning every single deal. And then over time, everything that comes out of that process will become accumulated with more and more success. But if you get too fixated on the individual deal, that's, it's going to A, drive you crazy, but it's just not the best way to really build a process. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, and it takes me back, actually, Ollie, you mentioned earlier, you started doing door to door. That's where I started my career as well. And, you know, we were tasked to knock a hundred doors a day, gain eight, close four. And like you say, that's like such a small ratio. And if you just looked every door you get a no from, you think, oh God, this is into the world. But, you know, if, if, if you dwell on that, like you said, Alfie, you might do a hundred doors, but you only do 20 at your peak performance and 80 are kind of like influenced by, all those negatives that you don't actually get to that point. But at the time you think, you know, this is the end because I can't get in this door and speak to this person. Yeah. You yeah. Have to see it as um, crossing off the nose. If you had hundred doors and you knew that 10 would buy, if you got a no, you were closer to a yes. And thinking of sales exactly. in that way is a brilliant way of thinking about mm. it. So true. So true. It makes you, it makes you search for that no more because it's like, that's one more done. That's one more no that I've got out of the bag. And one no closer to yes. That's the be- the better way to think. You of sound it. like you're trying not to sell though when you say that. Don't buy it's crap though. Okay. Don't buy no. <laughs> <laughs> I uh I, I knew this um really interesting guy a few years ago who's a trainer and he said, you know, don't look at it like a funnel, look at it like a tunnel in terms of like, you know, looking at when you're speaking to people, you're, the tunnel's getting narrower and narrower and you're kind of disqualifying them out to ensure that, you know, how quickly can you understand if someone is a no rather than just wasting your time on something, trying to convince them or convince yourself. It's a yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that's key at the moment. This is, I mean, it's something that with COVID and it's not about, it's qualifying them out that they can't buy now is the way to think about with COVID because if you can early doors say, is it of interest? And if it is, is it something you are, you've got everything in place that you can move ahead with this now, 
if they say yes of interest, but no, we can't move ahead now, you're building your parallel future. And I think it's a great way of seeing the world at the moment. Mm. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. And then going back to your point earlier, Alfie, you mentioned around when you're looking to hire and, and yourself, Holly, you look for these certain qualities and, you know, sometimes it's quite hard to find that because you can't actually get a first-hand experience. You're seeing someone's CV or, you know, the LinkedIn or their own perspective. So, you know, another approach of course is looking at how do you build what you're looking for externally internally. So it would be good to understand from yourselves, from your own experience or from what you've experienced as well, how do sales leaders go about creating that kind of environment where they can create a, a promote internally culture that's going to be an effective one rather than just a, a done on merit, for example. So Ollie, what's your take on that? So I think that there is the old adage of if we, if we, if you train people, they'll leave to go for a better job, but if you don't train them, you'll lose them anyway or they've got to work with you still anyway. And I think when I was at LinkedIn, they talk about changing the trajectory of someone's career. So a a leader's role is to coach and develop people. And that doesn't mean it it stops you from being selfish in a way, because out of my team, I had 20 people in my team, but over time I had about 35, 40. And the majority of those I developed through my team into a role somewhere else in the company. And there's a book, um, called Alive at Work, and it talks about everyone has a seeking system, and the seeking system is about their own development. And if you're developing people, happy people are successful. And if you're developing people, that's part of what people want from a job. They don't get stale or anything like that. So they will be more productive and efficient and effective in their role, even if you have them for a year, than somebody that isn't as uh, that you're not developing. And I think it's just a mindset within leadership to make sure that we are developing our teams and whether we lose them or not. And if someone, one of my team came to me and said, I want to go into X type of job and that's not going to happen in my team or even in the company I work for, my job is still to work with them to develop those skills. I'll still get the best out of them in what they're doing. Um, And that's just the way I think it's the sign of a good leader that actually develops them for unselfish reasons. Um, And that's when I've been motivated by somebody to say, yeah, I'll help you get that job in someone else's team. These are the areas where where we'll develop you. And I think it's, it's, um, the way that we should think yeah and it comes back to your point earlier about being having an open honest conversation doesn't it of knowing their agenda and their expectations and what they're looking to do and and making them feel like it's okay to talk about these kind of things you know if it is something you want to move on or if it is something you want to promote internally because you mentioned earlier sometimes people are promoted to leadership or sales management roles because they're good at selling and a lot of the time, if you ask people, they didn't actually want to become a manager. They just had that expectation of this is the done thing versus yeah. you know, where, where do you actually want to go with that? So I think it's a, it's a really valid point you make there. Yeah, and it's also to be able to do that, you have to uh, have awareness, the, the person's own self-awareness, but as a leader or a coach or um, from that perspective, or what are their strengths that we can develop? And, and that takes time because it's, it's not very, it's not an easy one to, to know straight off of the, straight off the bat. Um, and I think that what's in, 
you know, the individual's best interest is, is in the best interest of the company. If they're not going to be great in an SDR position, but they're going to be better as in a different part position in the company. Well, overall, that's going to more benefit the company uh, by being in the better position. There's a really good book that I, I've read. I'm not sure if any of you've read it as well, um, called Now Discover Your Strengths. Have you heard of this one? It's, no. um, it's, it's a, it's a really interesting book. They basically break down, um, your kind of like personality or characteristics. And I think there's like 35 or something along this, these lines. And you'll read, everyone's got just one page kind of an overview. Um, and you'll read it and think, okay, that's definitely me. That's not me. That's a bit of me. And you kind of, you figure out a bit really what your, where your strengths are and, and where you're not very, uh, strong. And I think that's a really great book to read because it brings that self awareness to say, okay, I should shape my career around this. Or, or jobs or roles that will benefit more from these strengths and really focus on doubling down on that. And I try and, and get everyone in my team to read that book as early as on uh, as possible because it helps them to start becoming aware of where they enjoy and where they are doing really, uh, you know, doing really well at and what their strengths are to then say, okay, this is the kind of career trajectory you can go in because once you've got the kind of North Star or a direction, and it's okay if it changes, but at least like you say, Oli, you can start building on those, uh, you know, those building bricks and helping them get to there and saying, okay, well, if this is a direction we need to go on, we need to work on these bricks and build those foundations. But that's um, been, been a great book for me and, and the team uh, since, since I started managing. I think that um, it's one thing, is if you could only ever recruit at one level, that'd be brilliant. I mean, if I if we could actually build it that the entrance to the business is like a SDR, and then you have a development plan for every person to move up through the ranks and go in a direction that they want, whether they want to go account management, big companies, management, whatever it is, that to me is the ideal situation where, and it's not about, people don't stay in jobs as long as they used to, but if you can get people to stay and for the right reasons, because they're happy and there is career development within your own company, that's the ideal situation. The only problem is, is the diversity side. How diverse are your, what's the diversity of thought when you've got everyone from an SDR through to an enterprise salesperson, they've all came the same route. So can you do, should you do it with everybody? Probably not, but to have that route that people can take would be an ideal situation. Mm. Yeah, that's a very valid point. The diversity of thought. I mean, I, I worked in uh, when, when I was working in Bloomberg. They had there was kind of two different types of people that really went and worked at Bloomberg. There was uh, people that came in at the beginning of their career or at the end of their career. So you kind of started there to go and then move into like a bank, or you've been working in, on the on the banks and the trading floors for your career, and then you retire there because it was kind of more of a, a safe uh, environment where you're not going to get fired when you've got you know a mortgage, your kids, and a family to look after. Uh, and so there was those kind of you know the, the the ends of the distribution curve, and then there was a big part in the middle with those, all those people who had started in the beginning, had been there for 20, 30 years, and I've never seen so many people in the company that have been in the same company for 20, 30 years. Um, but in terms of the diversity of thought point i think that is really really valid because you become institutionalized and you can uh, you just have that same mindset and framework and you saw how powerful it was was when people came from the outside and have a completely different perspective on things uh, you know new perspective on a different problem uh, and the benefits that that brings to the business so there is a challenge because you want to definitely promote people within um, because there's definite benefits from doing that they understand the product better they, they ramp up quicker in that role they understand the market better they understand the culture there's just a, a quicker ramp up um, but then the diversity of thought is also something that that happens there the other aspect is 
Um, and I think, you know, in our company in Spendesk, we've been um, very, uh, well, how to say, we've benefited a lot from having this kind of concept of promoting within. I mean, the, our, our sales director was an intern and, and uh, we've gone all the way to sales directors and been managing a team of about 60 salespeople, you know, never been in a, a full-time job prior to that. Uh, and that's incredible, but not everybody can do that because you can you, you learn from the experiences that you have in the company but like we were saying before if you don't encounter those experiences or haven't had that experience before and there's no one above you that has had that experience where do you go well you have to be of that growth mindset where you're going to go and find that somewhere so whether that's you have a mentor outside or you go and you spend a lot of time listening to podcasts like these or listening or you know reading books you have to be of that mindset where you're going to continually grow and uh, that can be very difficult if you're only promoting from people within and they're only looking within the company for the answers because they may not exist mm. yeah i think one of the challenges that people find sometimes as well when they're looking to promote internally is thinking we've got this great person in the sales team if we promote them we're going to lose that that function that person who can sell for us and you know i've i've seen it in the past and you know my role at payment sense i run a team of 14 sales coaches and trainers so slightly different angle but what i try to look at it as is is encouraging the team to support the development of each other as well so that you can kind of replace yourself. It's a bit like, you know, the All Blacks. Uh, I don't know if you've read that little black book that came out years ago now with the, all their mantras in there. But one Legacy. of them is like, leave, leave the shirt in a better place. Um, and the idea is that no one is bigger than the team. You come in and whether you're, you know, on the wing or wherever you are, whatever number you are, that is not your number, that is someone else's. And your role is to make that, leave that in a better place by the time you finish. And I think it's a nice way to look at it from when your team, if they are people that do want to develop and move into senior roles or team leader or management roles, that you place a bit of ownership and make them realize that you're responsible for other people's development as well as your own. Because then when you do move into that position, there isn't that kind of gap or worry about it as well. The chances are, if you're not going to move them up anyway, you'll probably lose them to another company anyway. So you've got to think about what they need. But yeah, I was, it was that book is called Legacy and it was on my desk earlier for this other talk I'm, I'm doing. But yeah, it's, um, I do agree with you. You've got, uh, it, I think that what a lot of it reverts back to for me is the company's core values or culture and values or whatever we, so part of ours is uh, team over self and stuff. And there's other ones as well. But I think that if a company has the right core values in place, it sort of sets a level of expectations of how we should be acting and, the, and what we should be doing in our job, whether we are being promoted or just every day. So if somebody is at that level, if you can set the expectations of we are a team over self company, it's about sharing that knowledge across the team to help everybody else and all pulling together if this person does move on. Um, to me, when I get asked a bit of advice from quite a few people and a lot of companies in startups, my first question is, have you set your core values? And when most of them say no, and when they haven't, you can realize that's how they could have handled these tricky situations, whether it's promoting somebody or not. Yeah, you need to have principles and values in order to be able to know how to make decisions in a time when you don't have the answers i think that's such a key part of it and you know back to your point there about wait what happens if you don't promote someone and you know they may move and uh, okay you've got to avoid to fill well i think and you know in my, my own personal experience it's only really until you have a void that it actually ever gets filled anyway so i think that if you're if you're not 
pushing someone up to promoting someone up into a, a harder position because you're worried about their performance kind of missing, you know, classic example, SDR to AE, you don't have enough leads and therefore uh, you're not going to promote them. Well, that's a really surefire way to stump your growth because you're not going to solve that problem until it is actually a problem. So you kind of have to take yourself out again. And as a, as a, as a manager, kind of step into that void and that fear of, okay, we might hit our hit our lead generation target for this month because we don't have someone but that's going to that might make you go and uh, and find and hire the right people to replace it and i think that if you have that mindset you're going to grow quicker but again it it, it depends on the type of company you're in because if you're not in a, a hyper growth company or have the ability or funds to just replace and hire someone you have to take in other considerations if you're bootstrapped for example that may not be a, an easy equation to to, to figure out you don't you also don't know how the rest of the team are going to feel if that person does move on it might be quite motivating for the rest of the team that someone else gets the chance to be mm-hmm. number one yeah yeah absolutely well alfie and ollie it's been a real pleasure today thank you so much for your, your time and your stories as well and your your fuck-ups <laughs> <laughs> we'll, finish, yeah. we'll carry on all night <laughs> um, for for people that that have just come across you what's the best way for for them to to find out or to connect with some of the stuff that you're you're sharing is it is it through linkedin or is there anywhere else in particular i'm linkedin uh yeah i don't tweet or anything just linkedin old man <laughs> yeah same same for me alfie marsh linkedin you can uh drop me a, add me on there drop me a dm and uh, i'll try and respond to everyone or you can catch me at alfie at spendesk.com and TikTok. You do a bit of TikTok, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> Just on the weekends. Surely the dog's going to get his own Instagram now. <laughs> oh, yeah. He, he, he's definitely got his own Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put that, that in the show notes. Yeah. My, my wife's created that account already. That was one of the first things <laughs> with the puppy starter pack. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Well, guys, thank you again. And for the listeners, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Not Another Sales Podcast. Thank thanks you. for having us. Hey people, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Not Another Sales Podcast. If you want to find out more and connect with me, you can find me on LinkedIn under Chris Hatfield, H-A-T-F-I-E-L-D, or on my website, www.notanothersalesguy.com. That's www.notanothersalesguy.com. Stay tuned in future for some courses and free content on there as well. But for now, have a good one and I'll catch you soon.